This is an episode with a difference. What does a survival specialist know about the struggles of teachers or leaders right now? How can nature help us when we're feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, or just plain fed up? Well, quite a lot as it happens. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week and the theme this year is nature. Toby Cowan is my guest and I'll introduce him properly in a moment. But Toby lives in North Sweden and his understanding of and his deep connection to nature is incredible. He translates that deep understanding into simple practices we can do for our well-being over a cup of tea. Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing well-being information, inspiration and support for teachers, leaders and school staff around the world. My guest today is Toby Cowan. Toby has lived in the north of Sweden for the last 15 years and focuses on fusing nature engagement, true resilience and individual or business development. He's a certified facilitator in Lego Serious Play and also runs extensive applied wilderness and urban survival skills courses. He's an on-call firefighter, active duty reserve infantry soldier, and sits on the board of directors of two companies. Toby, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure. That's that's quite a resume. Quite a, quite a it is when you read it back, actually. <laughs> Uh, Toby and I met when we were both speaking at an event earlier this year on on well-being for frontline workers and it struck me at the time that educators were included in frontline for the first time that I can remember and and Toby the work that you do with urban survival and applied wildness and nature engagement all kind of fit really neatly into this and so let's just get started by defining some terms and when you when you talk about nature engagement what do you mean by that okay um so that is the sort of catch-all term um that that a lot of the things i work specifically with sit under um and if we're thinking about movement in the nature-based therapy space, which has been explosively emerging the last three to five years, especially up here in the Scandics uh, and most notably in Scotland in terms of the UK. That's quite a specific thing. You know, when we reference nature-based therapy, we're, we're in a specific space. Whereas nature engagement for me is just that catch-all of all those things can fit under it. Um, but then we sort of start to tease out those individual threads as people start with the basics which for me is normally nature literacy then go on to nature connection and onwards and upwards in their reconnecting themselves with nature so nature connection is the goal but we that sits under nature engagement having uh, as in having a meaningful interaction with the natural environment at individual level it's interesting isn't it because we in the UK and obviously around the world probably less so where you are but have been in and out of lockdown conditions over the past 12 months and what people have absolutely craved and been drawn to is connection with nature i live near a, a huge park and it's it's been full of people so what is it about our connection to nature that's so fundamental that people that that help us so much i mean fundamentally it's absolutely hardwired into us 
you know, what we need to remember is we are just effectively well-dressed Neanderthals. <laughs> um, you know, the modern society has come on leaps and bounds in, in just double, if, if at best, triple-digit years, whereas humanity going back, you know, hundreds of thousands, the large percentage of our life, of our humanity, has been directly in correlation and connection and symbiosis with the natural environment and it's only been since industrial revolutions have we seen that shift to almost a creation of separate ecosystems that we occupy to the extent that people identify humanity as separate from the animal kingdom which we fundamentally are not you know we are at heart advanced tool using primates but we've just sort of given over to, to thinking a little bit too much of ourselves now, sadly, um, because of this industrial and technological development. But in our, in our wiring, you know, in our core, in our soul even, is that deep connection to nature. And when we get stressed and we get worried, we miss it even more. And so what would you say then in terms of the importance of our connection with nature and our connection with ourselves? Can you talk, talk about those ideas? How do we connect with nature and what does it do for us? I mean, we can see how important it is because in the absence of it, look at the state. You know, for those of us that feel disconnection with our bodies, that feel disconnection from the natural environment, there's, you know, any number of endemic problems surrounding that. So the absence of nature connection is the prominent percentage of society now. And I think a lot of people are, are feeling that, that there's just something wrong there. And like you say, in the lockdown, a lot of people just found themselves sort of drawn to nature, not really knowing what to do there, but just sort of but, but just sort of almost sleepwalk into that natural environment saying, okay, well, I think this is where I need to be. A little bit more empirically, very interestingly, for for people quite far along the trauma scale, and I reference the military community here, especially people coming out of uh, or trying to recover from PTSD or CPTSD, a lot of these guys and girls are finding themselves um, in recovery, intuitively drawn to nature-based activities and finding a deep sense of resonance and the beginning sensation of peace there. And actually starting to explore that and having that internal conversation, which is so essential and important to recovery. But in that natural environment and it almost becomes you know i refer to nature as my church you know my temple my my hallowed space because that's what it feels to me you know uh, it's it's mine it's non-judgmental it's also a reflection of my state um once i start to have that meaningful conversation internally and externally with that natural environment so the the Benefits of nature connection are well established and there's increasingly uh, heavy weight of scientific um, journals and papers coming out on that now as it becomes a new fascinating subject to um, investigate and work with. But the absence of nature connection is all around us and we can see the harm it's causing. I really like that idea about the internal conversation and the external conversation when you're in nature. So for somebody listening to this who's a teacher or a head teacher working in school who would not have access to the kind of space that you do in the north of Sweden, for instance, they might just have their own garden or balcony or perhaps a local park. How can you start to weave some of the ideas that you're talking about into in a very practical way for, for people that live in urban environments with small access to nature? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, but let's start with the premise 
access to any nature is is a start point. So if you've just got a balcony or like you say, a, a back garden or near a small green space, a park or something, it's a start. Um, interestingly, the, the, the larger, higher quality nature has, of course, more profound effects. That's why we go on these amazing journeys. But you shouldn't disregard what's right on your doorstep. And the fact is routine, regular access to nature is the key to the development and the connection here. So it's way better if you sat on a chair in your patio for five minutes every day, daily, and made that a habit than, you know, once a year or once every other year, you went to a rainforest for two weeks, for example. Um, because what you're looking for with the connection, connection is the regularity, but also the familiarity that you start to spot these small occurrences um, and you start to hone your senses on picking those up. So I'll give you one great example of one of the most profound things that happened to me on, uh, on what was called a sit spot challenge, where you go to one place every day for 20 minutes minimum for an entire year, 365 days. And it was seeing over a three-day period the development of a cobweb. And it, and it was just absolutely magical and totally transformative for reasons that I won't go into. But to every day just sort of see that cobweb's progress. Because normally what happens is we don't see cobwebs. And then one day, normally with precipitation, we see them. We go, that's nice. And we maybe take a picture and then forget all about it. Whereas to, to be sort of intimately observing this web's creation, and its structure and its design and just allow myself to be fascinated by that in that space. And bear in mind, I was in this huge forest. I mean, the tiger forest here, I could have focused on anything. And I was just for 20 minutes every day, absolutely fixated on this web that was maybe two feet away from me until at the end of the third day, it felt right to shift my attention to something else. If I was walking through a rainforest, I never would have picked that up or, or a park or any other space. The fact I was actually sat and grounded and observing in the minute was what allowed that to happen. And how could people, especially people that are hugely busy and have got so much going on in life, what's the kind of urban equivalent of that? I love the idea of a sit space where you go and observe something for a period of time every day. But if that's not possible, what's a kind of smaller step equivalent of that? Everything's about small steps in, in this because the problem when you're disconnected, is it's not that you can just kind of plug all the cables back in in one go. And that's effectively what we're trying to do is, is re-establish the original wiring of your brain to a certain point. So, and that's going to, you know, we're going to have to kind of connect it one little wire at a time almost and that can be quite a tiring process so there is an oversaturation of nature so actually this small three to five minutes a day is a perfect place to start what we want to start with is a reawakening of our senses because what's actually happening given the, the fast-paced overwhelming nature of modern society our senses, all of our senses have gone through what's called a, a threshold shift. And threshold shifts can be temporary or permanent. Um, one of the easiest ways to exemplify this, imagine now, if you're listening to the radio on a long drive, uh, you know, you're in the car for three to four hours and you get out and you shut off the ignition. The next day you get back in the car and you turn the engine on, that radio will come and it will be deafeningly loud. Right. And you'll almost be like, what was I doing? That was a ridiculous volume. But because of that ambient road noise on the journey, your hearing threshold has actually shifted. Mm -hmm. So you're incrementally turning up that radio to get into the volume frequency you need, or so the hearing frequency you now need for it to hit the receptors whilst everything else is being drowned out. And that's a subconscious process. So almost everybody is in that 
place right now of your eyes are narrowed down to tiny little screens your ears actually screen out more information than they take in and the same with all our other senses our touch our taste our smell everything so what we want to do in just that three to five minutes i like i really love framing things around a cup of tea because no matter how busy we are we're all going to drink tea probably multiple times in the day. So here's a practice I'm going to say right out the gate go. If you make yourself a cup of tea in the morning, commit to take that cup of tea into the greenest space you've got, whether that's your, your garden or just looking out over the, the balcony, as I said. But just whilst you're drinking that tea, just start to really engage with your senses as much as you can. Now, we're vision dominated, all right, as, as the animals that we are. Um, so that's a, that's one we need to work with, but that's one that needs a little bit more mentorship or, or, or me to actually, for you to see me, to demonstrate what I'm talking about. And because we did this as a podcast, it's audio only. So let's work, let's work with that. Let's work with our hearing, first of all. So as you're in that space, I want to think less about what you see and more about what you hear and really open your ears to that. But then consciously subjectively try to screen out the unnatural or the man-made noises that might be the traffic or you know the, the chatter whatever case may be and try to hone in try to identify and hone in on natural sounds can you hear a bird chirping or singing can you hear the wind rustling in the leaves? Right? What natural sounds can you hear? And actually, it'll help to close your eyes while you're doing this. If we typically work on one sense, we want to deny the other sensory input because it becomes overwhelming. It wants to, the eyes want to help the ears, right? So they'll constantly take over pesky things that they are. So <laughs> sit. And the same with olfactory, with your sense of smell. And that might be, I'm going to acknowledge that I can smell the tea that's in my hand. Because again, in modern society, one of the senses that's most shut down is olfactory because there's a lot of stinky things we don't really want to smell or acknowledge. But actually in terms of, of you know, engaging our, our neuro capability and our, and our minds, olfactory is a huge part of that. Um, and, and again, an overwhelming weight of evidence tied into that. And especially on the trauma scale, um, smells will typically trigger anxiety attacks way more than sound and way more than vision because of how it's actually deeply wide. It's not saying those other things won't trigger anxiety attacks, but olfactory has the some of the deepest wiring that goes. Mm. So working with my other senses, we just start to build, reconnect that connection to senses. Now, what we're doing is, is being a bit tricksy here because I'm forcing my mind to concentrate on those things and actually get into a state of mindfulness, which is living in the present. Because one of the hardest things most of us are dealing with at this moment is just this constant internal noise and chatter and that voice, or in my case and most others, voices that just never stop talking. And by putting ourselves in a natural environment, we're reducing that input and we're trying to find that sense of calm and that sense of peace. And one of the things I remember that's most profound in my recovery journey, and I'd love to credit this, and I for the life of me can't remember who said it, so I'm sorry if I remember, I'll come back to you. But somebody was saying, like in meditation, if you can achieve stillness of mind for one second, you know it's possible. And that first glimmer of hope is the key. Because if I can get one second, I can try and get five seconds. 
And if I can get five, I can go for 10. And if I can get 10, I can try for a minute. If I can get a minute, I can go to hours. And then I eventually achieve peace. And it's the same in nature. A lot of us are drawn to nature because it gives that it gives us that intrinsic sense of calm. And what we want to do is occupy our mind with mindful things, working on our sensory engagement first until we realize that's possible. That's our first light bulb moment where it's like, wow, those voices can actually either start to be quiet or stop for a minute. Mm. And if that happens, that feels amazing for me because I've just bought myself that little bit of sanctuary, that little bit of calm, that little bit of peace. And once I can start to flex that muscle and work on it and build it and grow, and achieve that calm state more, then I can start to introduce specific questions into my internal conversations. If I'm stressed, distressed, anxious, instead of just this wall of internal chatter and often self-beratement, I can now pick my individual problem or topic that I want to work through and go take that into nature with me and try to answer that specific question because I've created a space that I can just allow that to rest easily in my mind. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I'm thinking very practically now that we, if we're talking about the cup of tea time, so three to five minutes while you're having your morning tea, would you do that activity? So you listen out for sounds in nature and then ask that question, or would that be more when you're going for a walk in nature, say if you have more time, maybe on the weekend or something that you would take that question with you? Just let's get specific so people can use this as a practical exercise so i would say again first of all we've got to strengthen those muscles so in the beginning don't introduce any questions you know you're just you're just trying to get that sensory engagement that's the key there um it is absolutely possible to do that specific introduction of questions in three to five minutes as you get more advanced at this but as we said everything's a sort of step-by-step process as you start to walk on the weekends we still want to be working in that mindfulness in the beginning so now i'm keeping my sensory engagement i'm introducing my eyes i'm introducing my ears i'm introducing my nose and i'm just trying to get that engagement or connection with the natural world so i'm going to give you another exercise for that in just a second mm. don't rush to the answer the question because all you need to do all you do is turning up the volume on that noise yeah. which we're desperately trying to turn down yeah, yeah. in the first instance so let's just try to achieve that calm first once we've got that and we've strengthened a little bit of those sensory muscles if you want to call them that then i can start to introduce new practices but that would be a separate thing okay yeah if we're going if we can engage for longer so now if we're looking at sort of ideally now 20 minutes plus and i'm going to be mobile so i'm actually going to be moving through nature as i said there's great things happen when we ground ourselves and we actually just sit and engage with the space so for me if it was 20 minutes or less i'd want to just find my sit spot i'd want to find a tree that i can sit down and lean up against and just allow myself to sort of try to relax into my sensory awareness and establish what's called baseline because what happens as we move through nature we're one of the biggest disruptors to the natural environment especially when we take that busy energy in our heads so actually there's all all the fun things are just getting out of our way because they they sense us coming so if i'm going to sit under that tree what i'm going to be mindful of is waiting for all of the um you know the wildlife to fill back in to that void I created my disruption and resume their normal lives. And once they do that, we're at what we call baseline. So if I'm walking through nature and I'm not hearing any bird noises at all, 
that's not natural. I, I force them out of my way with my energy. If I sit down and those birds start to fill back in and there's just this normal level of chatter, this is baseline. This is really important to establish because if we can establish baseline in nature, eventually what we want to do is establish baseline in ourselves. What's my baseline? But we're, our proprioception is normally quite terrible. <laughs> so we need to Just get that. that word for us, Toby, proprioception. So proprioception is basically your ability to, to connect with and meaningfully understand the body that you're occupying. So it's like as, as we sit here now, am I conscious of the weight of clothes on my body or not? And if I'm not, how much mental work do I need to do to be aware of the weight of those clothes on me? Am I holding any tension? And if so, where? And if so, how? And if I don't know, how long does it take me to establish? Am I holding any tension? If so, where? And if so, how? If I can't feel it myself, I can't fix it, right? Mm. So proprioception is, is about being able to understand and control the body that we're actually in. Uh, and that can be, you know, from the sort of, can you pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time? <laughs> all the way through to that that's an that's an external validation of proprioception all the way through to that internal as i breathe now can i feel tension in my body and what do i do about that am i aware of my posture uh you know and, and these sort of things um so typically where we have that level of disconnection from self we need to look at some external sources for reference first then we can try to internalize them okay that's baseline. If we're out for a walk, and we're not always going to sit for 20 minutes under a tree, and you might not have a tree to sit under for 20 minutes. So if we're out for a walk, what we're then trying to do is engage with our senses in the beginning one at a time. We'll eventually want to cluster. We want that full sensory sweet awareness, but that can be difficult in the beginning. So if I'm out for a walk, I'll typically do what's called my 54321 practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as I'm walking along, the first thing we're going to try to do is identify five natural things that I can see. Okay. And I can say them out loud or if I'm walking with a partner, we can play this as a little bit of a game of who can see what. So, oh, I saw a bird fly over there. Oh, I just saw the ass end of a cat scuttling away. <laughs> or, you know, I see the cobweb or I see the wind moving the grass, whatever the case may be, any, any visual stimuli at all. But we're trying to filter out the man-made. Okay. So we're, we're now paying attention to the natural environment. Maybe I see a flower that's particularly interesting or, or just captures my attention for reasons I don't know why. Okay. I'm just going to sort of label that i'm going to acknowledge that's happening it's, then i'm going to go to four so i'm going to i'm going to find my five things that i can see and once i've done that i'm moving to my four which is what's four things i can hear okay and again say them out loud to yourself if you want to if you're on your own or treat as a, as a game with your, your partner or, or kids are great at this kids they've got the wiring so they're in this space already and they'll put you to shame you'll be on five they'll be on one all right i'll be honest with you <laughs> so for teachers it's a fun game especially if you're in outdoor space if you're working with forest schools things like that you're probably already doing these kind of practices three is things i can touch so tactile okay so it's not just i can touch it but i'm describing it so if i'm touching the grass but okay how is the grass what is that texture and I want the description. It's not, it feels like grass. Come on, let's, uh, <laughs> let's challenge ourselves to be a little bit more articulate than that, okay? So is it rough? Is it smooth? Is it spiky? Is it waxy? Is it abrasive? Is it, does it stick in a way? You know, there's some sort of weeds that grow within our lawns that, that sort of grab you a little bit, right? Like it's Velcro almost. Like let's get into that space of that descriptor. Um, three things I can touch in their descriptions. Two things you can smell. 
one thing you can taste and a lot of people are going to struggle on that last one okay but it's just been present of you know what's going on in your mouth now this is where a cup of tea is a great cheat because it's like oh i can taste my tea all right but again we're aspiring for better than that now this is where you know dogs olfactory and taste senses are massively coupled so you'll see the panting dog is actually enhances in olfactory sense by sticking his tongue out and tasting the air it's going to get a bit weird if you're in a crowded place but i recommend you try it all right so if you're on your own or you're with friends that are non-judgmental just do that <laughs> As you're walking along, stick your tongue out, leave it hanging out there for a little bit and just see, is there anything that, you know, is there a taste sensation you were getting that you weren't getting before? And in this pollen season, you can start to get that. This is all about understanding the possibilities and, and the huge range of our sensory engagement that we're just totally disconnected from. Once we start to get that, then we can start to play with that. And that's where the real fun and the magic happens. Now, what we're trying to do at the beginning is just give you some validation. So in your three to five minutes, if you start to feel some benefits from this, you'll start to think, you know what? Maybe I'll give myself five to seven minutes or I'll have two cups of tea in a day instead of one in the morning or maybe a cup of tea and a big glass of water. But when I go drink that glass of water, I'm going to go do this activity again. I just start to push the edges of my senses. And as I start to reconnect those small wires, we start to get that, that you know, those reconnections in our brain and we said, OK, well, where can I take this? How can I push this? Or this just feels nice. Don't always need to achieve anything, do we? Isn't it enough that we can just say, I'm just going to take this five minutes and, and, and enjoy just sitting out, feeling the sunshine, working in my sensory suite and just allowing that to happen. Try to get that peace. Try to get that calm because the mania is always there, right? We'll turn the volume back up to 11 imminently. I'm going to walk back into my work-based situation, but I'm just going to allow myself and demand of myself to find that calm and just enjoy it. Mm. And, and if you don't take it any further than that, you're still going to get massive benefit from giving yourself that time and that more meaningful connection in that three to five minutes mindfulness instead of I'm just going to breathe a certain way and I, I hope this does me some good. It's so interesting you should say that to me because I don't even know if I've told you, but I do instant calm sessions on Thursday afternoons for teachers and leaders. Okay. And, and I think people are often really surprised at how quickly we can achieve a sense of calm and ease and peace in our body and just get rid of kind of tension that we've been holding around perhaps for the day. Um, and we can achieve that really quickly. But the lasting impact of that is huge because what we're doing when we do practices like this, and I love the ideas you've given us, um, especially of weaving nature into this, but the lasting benefits are huge because what we're doing is regulating our nervous system. And it's probably taking a bit of the, the shine off the what you were describing. But I think sometimes when we understand what's happening in our physiology when we do these things, it can help us do them more because we know that we're doing really good things. Because before we started the podcast, um, we were talking about how exhausted people are feeling and how there's such a, a low-level feeling of unease and exhaustion. And I think these practices are fundamental in helping us rebalance our system after such an exhausting and trying year. What else would you say to, to that point, Toby, about people that are feeling perhaps exhausted or just fatigued by just everything at the moment? 
Yeah, I think the first thing you have to acknowledge is is that's you know massively present. And I think if if you're feeling like that, understand a lot of other people are feeling like that. Even if they say they're not, they probably are. And that's back to that proprioception. Some people may be at that level of fatigue and just literally don't know it because they just haven't had that sort of internal journey to to look inwards and say, how is my body doing right now? They lack the tools to do it. But of course, it's absolutely inevitable this last 14 to 16 months has had a profound effect on everybody. Um, Not just for the extra pressure that's coming to every work role in existence, but just, just the constant having to sort of adjust to new goalposts and, and, and new targets and new ways of doing things. And as I said, we're well-dressed Neanderthals. We are, we're highly adaptive, but we're resistant to change. We're resistant to change for a reason. So when we have so much change forced upon us, it is going to put a huge amount of fatigue into our bodies. And most importantly, in our modern society, our methods of normally coping with that, of being able to recharge ourselves or reset ourselves, whether it just be you know, a night out with the boys or a night out with the girls or a nice meal all the way through to a weekend away or a holiday, those have been denied us. So those layers of fatigue have just built on each other and built on each other and built on each other without any ability for us to kind of wash it away and reset like we normally would. And so should we say if these are sort of layers of sand of fatigue that have built that we would normally wash away, how much work have we got to do to get back to where we were before? So it's an, on, it's an, an essential ongoing process and it's one that's going to take time because we've just got so much residual within our bodies. And what we found for a lot of those, what may have been healthy coping mechanisms, going to the gym, going out with friends, socializing, uh, in their absence cause problems and at worst have been replaced by unhealthy coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. so many people i'm seeing now writing about that they feel their diet's been very compromised you know they're sort of binge watching tv series because all they end up doing is sort of at the end of the day to switch off from work is switch on the tv and they don't feel good about it but that's just the space that they find themselves in and from my experience the first thing we need to do is acknowledge the situation before we can hope to understand it and therefore affect positive change if i'm sort of you know falling off the 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 business chair onto the couch eating five packets of crisps bring drinking two bottles of wine and watching netflix for five hours and i'm saying but everything's okay <laughs> there's a problem right there okay there that's a- absolutely the situation but i shouldn't really be seeing that as okay and i don't want to be flippant about that at all because people are genuinely find themselves in that position possibly for the first time in their life or more or more problematically that they've, they've got out of those bad habits and now they find themselves being sucked back into them and what we're trying to do with these with these micro changes, as I call, like the three to five minutes with our cup of tea, is we're trying to give ourselves some good habits to work with and those things that are positive and beneficial, but absolutely um, achievable and accessible. This isn't about you need to drive to Snowdon and walk up a mountain for nine hours in one day. This is something of just get yourself to the most green space you can find, even if that's your window overlooking a bird feeder and do it from there. And start that step up from that point. I don't know if that answers your question or not. It does. It absolutely does. And and do, do you feel, Toby, that we've addressed the, the question around the fundamentals? How do we how do we focus on the fundamentals when we're when we're looking at creating positive change? So 
Um, I absolutely want to address that. And, and this is something that came out of another conversation I had earlier on today is it's with this new working situation, working from home and things like that, it's very easy to sort of just think or assume, well, of course, everybody's eating well and getting enough sleep and staying hydrated because there isn't all that stuff to get in their way to stop them doing that. They're not rushing around in a commute and they're not dropping their kids to school. And so you've got all the time in the world to take care of yourself. And that may have happened. Some people might have turned into sort of Gordon Ramsay as, as, as well as Mary Poppins <laughs> and, you know, the best head teacher during a lockdown for, for most of us, it hasn't. And it's, it's, it's been even more convenience has been sought after as we've tried to juggle all of these things. So there has been compromise to our diet. There has been compromise to our sleep pattern. There has been an in increase in our stress levels. So it can well be those fundamentals are not being taken care of. And here's the thing. Fundamentals are foundational. We can't build anything on top of an unstable foundation. So my worry now is, you know, societal pressure is saying, oh, I should have like learned three languages and written a book already. And what you need to be doing is really owning that space of saying, I need to be really, really working hard on my hydration, my nutrition and my sleep pattern. And if, I'm, if I've got all that down, great. But one, don't let it slip. And two, keep an eye on it constantly. And everybody in your family circle and, and your work circle as well. Because just because you've got it down doesn't mean everybody else have. And like I said, if we don't have that squared away, everything else is being built on an unstable foundation. I know sleep is something you're incredibly passionate about, Maria. Mm. And quite rightly so. Because even we can look at the clock and say, I slept eight hours did you really, you know, did you get that quality of sleep that your body demands and needs in this time? And and these things are so critical and they sound, they sound like a big deal. I don't know if they do or not, but they can to some people. But everything is better when we get these foundational pieces in place, like nutrition and sleep and and hydration and movement, ideally in nature not for some kind of namby-pamby reason. It's because our nervous system needs it. And when we're overstressed, it's, it's, like, it's like our bank balance, right? If, we, if we're taking out more than we're putting in, we're in trouble. And so when we're triggering the stress response repeatedly or chronically for months and months on end, we're taking out energy from the system that we're not replacing and, and it's going to have a cost. And so that the, the things that you're talking about, Toby, are so they're simple and gentle and so, so powerful and tiny baby steps that we do every day impact our well-being more than two weeks in a rainforest. That's for sure. And the absence of that as well. That's my big concern yeah. is that, you know, people's lives and their jobs are placing such demands on their time they are not prioritizing their own well-being. Yeah. That's it's like yeah. if I've got five minutes at the end of the day, maybe I'll do what Maria and Toby mentioned in that podcast. And the fact is, we've got to switch around our prioritization that and say, if you're not prioritizing your own well-being, that is going to be a massive problem because at some point you're going to pay the bill. All right, you're going to get that your account is closed because it's so overdrawn letter from your body, to use your analogy of the bank balance, which is a great one. Um, so we, we must be prioritizing our individual welfare. Mm -hmm. And whilst absolutely organizations are responsible, both ethically, morally and legally, those changes are going to come slowly. So we need to effect our own change mm -hmm. and take responsibility for our own welfare 
and prioritize it mm -hmm. and quite simply demand of ourselves that prioritization because otherwise if you feel bad now you're going to feel way worse later mm -hmm. but like you say this isn't about needing to take you know, don't get me wrong if you can take the two weeks in a rainforest go for it <laughs> but you if you can take those micro breaks during the day exactly as you say you will get the benefit from it mm -hmm. and if you can eke out that three times three to five minutes in a day your body will thank you for it in innumerable ways and then you can use it as a base as that stable foundation to start to grow from and in, go and grow from there fantastic toby we're coming towards the end of our conversation we could talk for hours we frequently do <laughs> um, what would you like to say as, as we start to wrap up any final thoughts from you I think the, the key thing for me is, as I said at the beginning, any access to nature is good. Mm -hmm. um, but my worry is people are so disconnected when they go into nature, they treat it as, as a trip to the, like, the zoo or the museum. They're sort of walking through with a sort of imaginary glass window between them and these exhibits. And the fact is for meaningful connection to happen, we, we need to engage in that. So, you know, in, in the nicest, gentlest way, challenge yourself to have some meaning engagement with the natural environment around you. If that's just watching that bird on the bird feeder with nothing else in your mind other than thinking, what's that guy up to? Mm. And why is he doing that right now? And why did he land? And more importantly, saying he could be a she, why did they fly away? Had they eaten enough or had something spooked them? And if so, what? And then just let, your, let that childlike curiosity come back into you. If the bird flew away because they got spooked, was it you? Was it the neighborhood cat? Do they come back quickly? It wasn't that much disruption. Or does it take a while for them to circle back and land back on that feeder again? And there's, there's a huge amount of, of, of life lessons and actual workplace applications that come off these practices. We don't have time to go into for now, but I'm working very much along with my wife um, to get these into the online space because it's obvious that that's where it needs to be right now. That, you know, people's ability to travel and attend courses that I would typically run uh, isn't coming back anytime soon. But just having that observation and engagement and mindfulness opens up an amazing amount of possibilities but you need to sort of knock on that door first and, and eke out that time to start to try to engage in nature, natural environment, which your well-dressed Neanderthal does want you to do. Mm -hmm. And that circles back really beautifully to what you said earlier, Toby, about just, just being in awe of nature, just, just noticing the wonder of it and the beauty of it. And um, I, Often we, we often notice the moon um, when it's full, right? But even just looking up, and I live in London, so we don't see too many stars, but when we see the full moon, so many people come out and just gaze at it. We're drawn to nature. So yes. I would just echo everything you've said and, and how do we just take those moments just to look up at the night sky, to enjoy the moon or to enjoy a sunrise or a sunset, just to take those moments with nature and, and to connect with them are a huge part of our human experience. Absolutely. It, it, it is part of humanity. It's part of us. Uh, we are a part of the natural world. Mm. So let's stop separating ourselves from it and sort of saying about, you know, the animal kingdom and us, we are in it. Um, so let's, let's healthily, holistically, wholly occupy that space. 
and reconnect in the way that we want to and need to. Mm. I was about to wrap up, but I do have to ask one term. <laughs> that I know, I'm just going to keep saying one more thing, one more, more thing. thing. You mentioned the word nature literacy right at the beginning. Could you just tell us what do you mean by nature literacy? Okay. Uh, in, in the most condensed way possible, because this would normally be a two and a half hour presentation. Nature literacy is understanding the, the language of nature. That's what literacy means, right? It's, it's, you know, what does the written word and language, what is the written word and language of nature? And how do we understand it? And how do we converse in it? So if we want to have meaningful engagement with the natural environment, if look at it like you want to have a deep, fulfilling and meaningful conversation. OK, but that's impossible if you don't speak the language. So what nature literacy does at its foundation is reconnects the understanding of the language of the natural environment and how we can converse in it. It's effectively made up of three fundamental parts, which is sensory awareness tied in with movement and breathing, tracking in its true sense of the word, and bird language. And I would highlight that bird language is different from bird song, okay? Mm -hmm. But what we do in nature literacy is explore all of those three parts and start to, you know, th those are basically the ABCs. Mm -hmm. But once we've got the alphabet, we can start to build words. When we've got words, we can create sentences. When we create sentences, we create paragraphs. And when we have paragraphs, we have meaningful conversation. Toby, that was wonderful. I think we're going to be doing a part two <laughs> sometime soon. I'd love to. Um, that, that would sound great. Great. Thank you so much um i've been speaking with toby cowan you can connect with toby on linkedin at toby cowan and anywhere else people can meet with you toby is linkedin the only place no there's plenty of other places but it's quite dynamic right now i'm involved in a number of projects and there's going to be more, more things sort of launched out in terms of communication platform but it's all going to go out via linkedin so that's the best place to start and then from linkedin you can follow me down the various rabbit holes that we're currently <laughs> creating to get you uh to get you rewilded and back into nature in a meaningful way so linkedin is a great start point and we'll go from there Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Toby. Maria, thank you so much for your time and the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.